Welcome to the Winter Palace. I'm your host, Mark Cole, editor and publisher of Odessa Steps Magazine. Today, we are excited to have Matt Fraction as our guest. We are going to talk about his Cubs fandom and how he reacted to them winning the World Series, and some of his comics work, including Casanova Odyssey, working with some of his collaborators, and more. I also wanted to mention we now have new content available on the Winter Palace podcast website, which you can reach at www.odessasteps.co.uk. We are going to be having more comic stuff and lucha stuff and some other stuff in the future. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. to the Winter Palace. Uh, I am very happy to have a guest that I've been hoping to get on for quite a while. We are continuing in the series of talking to people who are longtime Cubs fans to find out uh, how they experience winning the World Series. Um, Plus, we're also going to talk about some of our guests' uh, comic book work and maybe some of his other projects that are in the work. Please welcome to the show, Matt Fraction. How's it going, Hello. Matt? Hey, it's good. How, how, how is... I, I'm good. How is, uh, how's the weather out in Portland today? Weirdly cold. Like, uh, uh, unseasonably cold. We've had a weird uh, with, uh, Arctic blast, and uh, more snow is apparently on the way at some point in the next few days. But uh, So this, this winter kind of sucks, honestly. Um, but it's been the first sucky winter I've had since I've been out here, which is like eight years now. Yeah, we have been lucky so far in the, I'm in the mid-Atlantic, so it hasn't been too far, you know, we haven't really had any snow, it's just been cold and rain and that kind of stuff, so. Yeah, we're we're not a town that's built to like handle snow, so like when snow falls, uh, everything goes nuts. Right, um, to let, to, to let people know how long we've sort of been working on getting this done, um, I had first, uh, we had first explored doing this interview sort of closer to right after the World Series and between the holidays and all that kind of stuff, we'll finally get around to it. So maybe now, um, instead of an immediate reaction, you've had some time to digest. But as a longtime Cubs fan, what was it like uh, winning the World Series? It was pretty great. <laughs> it was, uh, the, the funny thing was, to me, like, like, like it never doubted it. Like it just felt in the bag from Jump Street, like from opening day. It felt like, oh, we're going to be like the 86 Mets and we're going to lead wire to wire, which did. But then also like the 86 Mets, we almost blew it like in the clutch, right? So I, I, it's not like I was bored during the season, but I didn't feel tension until the World Series. Like that was when all of a year's worth of tension, the sort of the normal ups and downs, being a Cubs fan, like all of it was compressed into that like 12 days or however long the whole World Series cycle ran for those seven games. But like it was so good. It was such an exciting, like such a great series. So edge of your seat. And like if you went to go see a movie and the end of that movie was Game 7 of this World Series, you would walk out because it was unbelievable. You know what I mean? Like, like short of, of, of uh, uh, somebody like, short of like Kyle Schwarber calling a shot 
<laughs> in the top of the 15th inning. There was uh, you couldn't have written a more unbelievable end to to that season. It, it was it was super. It was great. My son discovered the joys of magical thinking. It was it was wonderful. Now, you are old enough that you probably lived through I assume you're old enough to live through 84 and Yeah, 80, I lived in, in I lived 80. in I was yeah, in Chicago then. I was going to say cuz you've lived all over the country but you were you were born in one of the Chicago suburbs, right? Yeah, yeah, I was born I was born and then sort of lived ever further south until we were like in Bloomington. But yeah, no, I was the Sun Times ran every Friday full page like mini posters of that 84 team and over the summer I just filled my wall up with, you know, my heroes. So, um, in hindsight now, are you glad that you that they won in such a dramatic way, or would you have just preferred the no doubt about it four game sweep, sort of like the way that Boston ended up breaking their streak? No, I'm, I'm, I felt appropriately Cubsy to almost blow it, you know, and it felt like it felt like it felt appropriate this way. It would have been almost disappointing if it was easy. If it was just a waltz, you know, it would have been, eh, yeah, okay, we did it. Like, and you would have known right away. You would have known right off in that first game. Uh, uh, but like, it was just such a great series from two teams that no one saw coming like that. You know, I mean, I guess you could argue that people saw this. I, I still think most people thought next year was going to be next year. You know, uh, uh, I think, I think people may have thought it was early for us until they actually saw that team play. But yeah, it was it was great. I wouldn't have changed a thing. Well, it's funny. I would have been there. I would have been I would have been there. That's what I would have changed. I would have been there for one of the I had a chance, had a shot to go to one of the games, but I would have had to like take out a second mortgage for a ticket, so I didn't do it. But I would have been there at the first at the first game at Wrigley. I would have been there at game four for a win for our first win of the series. Well, it's but, funny uh, that you have like. You know, a team that I think the general public, I think, was behind, you know, the Cubs breaking the curse and all that kind of stuff. And then you end up with them playing a team that, you know, has like the second longest streak and is also, you know, a team that, you know, people can appreciate. And Yeah, when, when two perennial losers play, nobody wins. You know what but, I mean? Like, there's no like like I, I I like there was no joy, the exception of like beating my my smug ass Ohio relatives. There was no joy in beating that Indians team who clawed their way to that position and refused to let go. You know, they were like uh, like a pit bull that can distend its jaw. Like, it just it was it was such a fight. It was great. Now, do you think going forward has has being a Cubs fan, quote unquote? now changed since they won i mean you don't sort of have the you know lovable loser just going to fenway to, or uh, going to wrigley to hang out kind of vibe yeah, I, mean, I mean you know you're not gonna know that story for like 20 years you know what i mean like i lived in kansas city for a while and like let me tell you about fairweather fans like when I, I saw i saw roger clemens pitch for the yankees at kansas city and i walked up and bought tickets the day of the game and they were great they were like third baseline tickets for like 20 bucks like Kaufman used to be a graveyard. He used to be a parking lot. And like everyone was bitter and no one had forgotten 84. It was like, it's so long. Bro. Like people, in, when, when I lived in Kansas City, you never seen so many Cardinals and White Sox fans. Uh, of course, now it's a different story, right? 
Um, but like, you're not going to know for 20 years. You're not going to know until like, there's going to be like, you know, my, <laughs> the, the first year my son was aware of baseball, uh, it was with the giants and the angels were in the series. They go, Henry, the giants and the angels are playing in the world series. And when you're like three or however old he was, like you think it means literal giants and literal angels are fighting. And he goes, uh, I, I, I'm going to pick the giants. And of course they won. So I got to like tell him like, Hey, by the way, Henry, the, the, the giants won the world series. And he was like celebrating. I was like, what does that feel like? You know, uh, uh, so so when my daughter goes 25 years without seeing the Cubs win a World Series, then we'll find out if being a Cubs fan has changed. But like, I think anybody that's endured it and never let go and never threw the hat away, like, if we lose, if we if we come in like in the bottom of the ranking, if we come in last in the league next year, no one is gonna be surprised or really terribly hurt. It's funny. Like I made it 106 years. I can make it through anything. Well, it, let me it, tell you about sticking. You know. Yeah, it's funny. The 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 two things that come to mind. One is you look at Red Sox fans and you think, right? Oh, you know, they finally lifted a curse and blah blah blah. And you know, they're great. They're like, uh, we'll never complain again. And you know, obviously that's not true because they're New Englanders. But you know, then they win like two more times in ten years, and now you know, I guess now it's you, entitled. Well, that, yeah, and you, you know, you compound it with, like, all of the other Boston titles and all the other sports, and, you right. know, it's like City of Champions now, and, you know, if, you know, if the Patriots go 15-1, and one, people are complaining that they lost a game, or the Red Sox don't get every free agent that they want to sign, they're complaining, and it's right. like, it's like, I want to tell them, I'm like, you know, I'm a Padres fan, it's right, like, right. you know, I've had, like, <laughs> two... Look upon two, me, I'll show you the life of the mind. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, I've had, like two trips to the world series in like 30 years and you know, they weren't really close cause they played two juggernaut teams when they got there. Right. Right. And then the other thing it's funny is if you look at Leicester city, you know, you have a team, you right. know, uh, like this, you know, cl it's close to the, you know, it's a team that is a perennial doormat in a fluky season wins a league when they're not supposed to and partially because, you know, the powers are down and they fluke and luck and whatever. And now it's like they've sort of gone back to their level, sort of, you know, bottom mid table. And you have people calling up the phone ins in England and complaining and wanting Ranieri fired. And it's like, right, right. you know, it's less than a year since you did like the greatest sporting miracle of all time. Right. And yet six months later, you know, you're fickle. It's like I think yeah, that's well, just that's well, just what being a sports fan is all about. I think I, I don't know, man. I think yeah, sure, sure, but I don't think the story is going to be told until you know what. Like, there's a whole generation, you know. Like, listen, my dad lived his entire life without the Cubs playing in the World Series. My grandfather lived his entire life without the Cubs playing in a World Series. Like, that's more than like that's 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 more than just a drought. You know what I mean? Like, that's a. Uh, uh, you're not going to know. You like you have to see what happens. I mean, look, there's no way they're going to be able to maintain the cost at Wrigley right now. Is it's no, it's it's. It's also funny too. Like when I lived there, the Cubs were the blue collar team of the working class, not the Sox. You know, and then it kind of you know, and it, it's it's sort of I think depends on <laughs> when you're looking at Chicago. Like uh, it didn't used to be that way. Uh, uh, but now it's like you have to 
so it's it's insane to go see that. It, it, it's not realistic anymore. So okay, so when the moneyed folks from you know Schomburg and <laughs> whatever and Skokie can no longer care to come in and pay five hundred dollars for seats. Uh, who's going to show up? Like, what happens to the bleacher bums? And because the next five years the Cubs go without uh, a postseason appearance, what happens to the bleacher bums? Like, that's where you'll, uh, you know, you want you 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 want to believe your team would be different. You want to believe that your fans are the best fans or whatever. But you know, we'll see. Now, as we said, you're in Portland. So, are you part of the Venn diagram of comics creators and soccer fans? Yeah, we, very much so. Yeah, because we've had uh, uh, Greg and Jen have been on, and Paul and Colleen have been on, and I know they're all big soccer yeah. fans. So you guys are yeah, all part Greg, of that. Greg was my Greg was my rabbi, in fact, my uh, uh, soccer rabbi. Um, I think he was tired of me making fun of it, and he's like a timber a Timbers uh, season ticket holder. One day he was like, "Hey, uh, why don't you just come to a game? And if nothing else, you can see it, and you can make fun of it in person. If anything else, we'll hang out and we'll talk." And you know, so I went uh, just as his guest uh, and came back like you know, like Paul on the road to Damascus. Like I, I was converted and came home uh, a fan. You know, loved it. You know, it's funny. We ended up having Jen on the podcast like the week after they won the title last year, yeah, and she yeah. was just she was like still so giddy and excited, and she was. Saying how they like had the how they watched the match in their house and people had to sit in a certain place and I think yeah. somebody was like out of the room when somebody scored so like they banished them out of the room until like they had to stay time. out of the room yeah sure sure yeah it's 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 funny the first year I started following the the Timbers didn't make it to the postseason and somebody said well I guess that's it for you in soccer huh I was like and I'm a Cubs fan let's talk in a hundred years like. <laughs> oh my God! What what is what is what is what is up with people? Um, I love the magical thinking and fair weather. You know, yeah. It's uh, uh, my daughter wished that Game Seven would get tied up so that there would be a more dramatic win for the Cubs. And my and then when it got tied up, my son lost his mind. And was like, it's your fault. You have to leave. And she got upset, and it was a whole thing. Like, yeah, man, <laughs> magical thinking starts young. Yeah, I've always been of the mind. It's like, you know, I'd be happy to take the like ten nothing route to win. I don't need, you know, yes. You don't need drama. Little... You don't need drama. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I don't need drama. I I would t- I will take the win because it's like, generally speaking, my teams have been the like you know, bottom, like, occasional, there's a hope of wish for something. It's like, you know, I'm, like, I'm a Padres fan. Like, when I still watched football, I was a Lions fan. You know, I'm, like, an Everton right, right. fan. So, like, I, you know, I appreciate when my teams are actually good because it doesn't happen often. Right. Well, you know, like, the flip to that, I mean, my, my sort of only, with the exception of, like, just the uh, the Bulls, I'm like, and I lived in, like, I lived at Belmont and Sheffield during, like, the the Jordan era. Like, that was a whole other experience. But, like, the closest experience, the closest taste that I ever had would have been, like, the 85 Bears, you know, uh, where, you know, they were, what, 15-1, and one, 
right? It was, they lost to Miami. It was like they lost one game. Uh, but it was just, it felt written, you know, it felt written in the stars and, and it was fun to see, but there was no drama. They were just like, they heard music nobody else was hearing. You know, it's like watching the old footage of the beautiful game era of Brazilian players. Like, that team, that Brazilian national team, like, it was like they were getting transmissions from another planet, you know? It's just, oh, you're just, you're, you're, there's like a poetry here that, that isn't present in the other guys. I don't know how you beat that. Uh, uh, now, nah, I'll, I'll, take, I'll take a good story over an uh, over, uh, early night any day of the week. It's, it's not good for my long my lifespan, I don't think, but I'll take it. And it's funny with those with the like that bear team. It like it's sort of, you know, it's that rare thing where like sports transcends sports and becomes part of popular culture. And, sure, you know, sure. Well, listen, the bears the bear shuffling crew spoke to a lot of people. But it's funny in hindsight, you know, they only had one Super Bowl, so it's like this yep. weird anomaly, and it's almost now. Like, you know, I have lots of friends from Chicago and the Midwest, and it seems like like the overriding memory now is, yeah, we won the Super Bowl, but, like, Peyton didn't get a touchdown. Like, that right. became more right. important than, like, the actual win. Right. It's sort right. of like they they didn't do it the right way, as it were, quote-unquote. Right. And then, what, the first game of the next season, the dude uh, body slammed uh, McMahon on his shoulder and ended his career? You remember that? Yeah, the yeah, it was George you know, Charles Martin. Yeah, he had like the bounty yeah. with like the players' numbers yeah. on it. Yeah, yeah, picked him up on the picked him up and threw him. On, yeah, but like like wrecked, and that was it. That was the end. That was <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and like the audacity of like yeah, William Perry's gonna run. Sure, <laughs> that's what's gonna happen on this play. We're gonna give the ball to the fridge. <laughs> like. You don't do that if you're sweating inches, you know? It was, yeah, yeah. Boy, it would have been nice if, if Sweetness would have made it. Now, people yeah. are remember his name a lot longer than, you know. Yeah, I don't know. It is, it is, it is. Listen, I wish Ron Santo was alive to see the Cubs win, you know? It's, it's, it can't always be perfect. Again, could you imagine how amazing hearing Ron Santo call that game would have been? Like, think about that Game 7 with the rain delay and the up and the down and the craziness. Just imagine how phenomenal and insane Ron Santo would have been. And like, it's, it's, a, it's a great tragedy of the modern age that it didn't happen. And, and or what Harry Carey would have been like during the World Series. <laughs> Just completely incoherent. I would say we would In have, fairness, he was kind of incoherent his last like three or four years anyway. I was gonna say that would have we would have had one crazy Saturday Night Live episode after that. Yeah. You know, you've had you probably would have had like Will Ferrell as Harry Carey and Bill Murray on doing all sorts of wacky shenanigans. You know, the kind of stuff that Bill Murray does. Yeah. Did, did you see that they gave him a camera crew and just set him loose? Yeah. They won. Yeah. Hey, I heard I'd somebody watch talk. That. I'd watch that sports show. I heard some. I heard somebody on a podcast talking about that because they were talking about when Murray interviewed Theo. Yeah, yeah. After after the after the game was over. But uh, it was uh, it was sweet. It was sweet watching Bill Murray get drunk in real time. 
Santori for the perfect occasion? Uh, I, I, believe, I believe it was champagne, unfortunately. I believe it was champagne, but it should have been. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we knew it's always it's always uh, Santori time. Um, and turning to uh, some of your comic stuff. Um, nice pivot. Yeah, I was gonna say I'm, you know, I it's, it's it's been a long sort of holiday season. It's like my. <laughs> yeah. You know uh, what else? It's time for a segue. So how's comics? <laughs> yeah. Um. The the main thing I wanted to talk about because I have loved the book since it started is is Casanova, which I did. I was at work. I work overnights, and so like I mm. took I loaded up my iPad with like all like all the issues so far, and I read them last night. And I think about four o'clock last night, I sent out a tweet that said, "Is this really the book I should be reading in the middle of the night?" It's like, what kind of weird ass dreams am I going to have when I get home? <laughs> but uh, the first question is, because um, I've always been a fan of like sort of '60s spy stuff and all that kind sure. of of stuff, was. Casanova sort of modeled on any one thing, or was it just sort of the spy genre in general? Because you can see, because its tone, while you know, sort of serious, seems very kind of like Flint slash Matt Helmy, maybe uncle-y, as opposed to being sort of the more serious, serious kind of stuff from that period. You think, is that, I mean, is that, even the more serious stuff from that period is ridiculous, you know. Um, but yeah, very much. It started uh, uh, diabolic was big right. for me, um, and sort of, you know, Bond up through Honor, Majesty's Secret Service, and like the Ipcris file was really big. Um, but you know, I, I, it's not that I didn't like superheroes when I was a kid, but. My my superheroes always put on tuxedos, you know, uh, and I was convinced it was the first comic I ever wrote. I was convinced nobody would ever let me do it again. So, you know, if I had just this one opportunity, I wanted to write something I wanted to read. And that would have been that, you know, I'd never read uh, or rather I'd read very, very few spy comics, let alone like super spy comics before. Um, and I was able to kind of figure out a way to machine it into this platform to be about whatever it was I wanted to talk about. Would you say there's some like Steranko Shield stuff in there too probably? Um only in that he yeah sure it's a, yeah it's a, it's, it's a long shadow and look I, like, I named I named his dad Cornelius after Jerry Cornelius which I've not read uh, uh, or at least I didn't enjoy. I read like the first novel and some of the second and couldn't get through it. Like I wasn't a, I'm not a Jerry Cornelius fan, but I understood like, oh, this is very much like Jerry Cornelius. And if I don't at least acknowledge that, then I'm going to get murdered. So like, you, you know what I mean? Like it'd be, it would be fake not to acknowledge that it's a presence, but it's not like I can't cite it as like a primary influence. But like I know Starenko's influence, especially his his notion of cutting influenced a lot of people that were much more directly influential on me. So I can like trace the DNA up. The, like, he's a, like a distant cousin, if not like a, a grandfather. The, the other thing that it really, like when you read it as a whole, like up until where we are now, the other thing that it reminds me of, especially when you consider like sort of how much 
sexuality and stuff is in there. And I know that like you've you've worked with him, and I know he's an influence. But like reading, especially the early stuff, really reminds me of Flag. Because, you know, that was like a book I read as a teenager, and that was just like the sure. perfect book for like a 14, 15-year-old to be reading because it's, you know, I guess it's more adventure than, than spy, but there's sort of some spy stuff and then, you know, a lot of, you know, sexuality and stuff like that. But reading it again, it definitely, you know, I could see like flag all over this. Yeah, no, uh, uh, Howard Chaikin cast a huge shadow uh, on me in my work. I mean, that was always my line. I did a book with him called Satellite Sam, and that was always my my line about it was like I tricked Howard into drawing my Howard Chaikin fanfic. You know, like it's like getting Ringo to play drums in your Beatles cover band. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. This the the uh, talk about cutting. Talk about Strenko in you know uh, editing influence design comics is design. Uh, not giving a fuck if you are following. You know, like Howard, this guy's maybe apocryphal, but somebody came up to him at a show and like, yeah, I read American Flag like uh, three times. I didn't, I didn't know what was going on. Howard's response was, maybe read it a fourth time. Uh, um, like that's sort of like, I trust that you are intelligent enough to interpret this. And I don't need characters to think in their logos. And I don't need to tell you everything every three pages. Like it's sort of that anti- Stan Lee edict, like, like you're smart. You're gonna follow this. You, 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 you know, like, like stay with us, and you'll, you'll, you'll get it. Like that sort of having that um, confidence editorially to believe, to trust in the intelligence of the readership was sort of the biggest takeaway from Howard. And then the, the second was it was very much the sexuality, and not just sex, but like sexuality. Like that's a different thing, you know. Like it wasn't just that people were doing it in flag, although they were, it was intended to be incredibly complicated and complex and layered and nuanced. And yes, big butts and yes, lingerie and, you know, yes, the hot dudes with no shirts. But at the same time, like, it was the first time I had seen sex represented as something complicated and adult instead of a kind of thing that happens by soft focus candlelight over saxophone music as the camera drifts off to a window. You know what I mean? Like it was, there wasn't anything cinematic about the way Howard presented sex in American flag. It was relevatory and complex and like, it was much like, much like sex. It was not simple. It was not necessarily without entanglements and complications and triple quadruple octuple meanings. One of the things, but yeah, Howard's a huge yeah. influence. Uh, one of the things I noticed reading everything in one chunk last night is it seems like, I don't know if the tone or something, but it seemed like the book kind of changed in between the second book and the third book. I don't know if that was, because I think that's... Oh, sure. Like, and I, I, and I, hope like, between the first and, I hope between the first and the second, too. I, I, I try to make it, it I, have to, I feel like I have to, we have to reinvent it every volume. I, guess I hope it, volume four feels as different from three as you know I, I hope each one is as different from the other as can be because i i was gonna say i don't know if it was just that the art change that you went from because i was reading the issues so mm -hmm. you know i was used to the the single color thing right, of the right. first two books and then you know like i read the trays later when you know you went back and colored them and then the third one just starts you know with sort of regular color 
but then, you know, I know there was like that time gap, so I don't know. But uh, I guess the first question would be is, has the has the the plot that you had planned out has any of that changed during any of the gaps? Whether it's you know you just decided to go in a different direction or things that may have happened in your life changed the way you like. I mean, was was uh, the father always going to sort of be sick in the hospital? Because I know that's something that you went through probably at around that same time. Or was that something yeah, yeah. that you changed because you were also going through? Because I know you, you said in one of the the back matter stuff, you know that you know that you were sort of living you know, Casanova as you, and you're Casanova on some level, and so the things that happened to you also happened to him, and so on and so forth. So I was just wondering, has the story changed from like the what you originally had designed, or is it always just is it still sort of what you would plan it to be? It's uh, still what I had planned it to be, but not how I planned to get there necessarily. I always liken it to you know if if you if, if, if like I understand the general geography enough to do the road trip without a map, you know, but like. Actually, but much like taking a road trip without a map, like let's say I wanted to drive to Chicago, like if I hit the ocean, I went the wrong way, you know. Uh, uh, if I hit California, I'm going the wrong way. If I hit the Canadian border, I went the wrong way. But if I just hit woods and it's green and I can keep going, then I'm going the right direction. And eventually that green becomes, you know, the plains of the Dakotas and Montana, then I know I'm going in the right direction. If I don't ever, and if I don't cross the Mississippi, I'm, I've screwed something up, you know. Um, so I don't necessarily know how I'm going to get from here to the Mississippi, but I'm figuring out as I go, you know, uh, but I know I'm going to cross the Mississippi at some point. So uh, everything has happened with sort of one exception that came in very early in the book, which is just kind of bad storytelling more than anything on my part. Uh, everything has kind of happened about when I figured it would happen, just not always how I figured it was going to happen. I will say, uh, there's plenty of sort of winks and nods and pop culture references to things all over the map, but I think still my favorite is is that we have we have, wink wink have grown up Johnny Quest and grown up Haji as yeah. Yeah. bad guys, good guys, bad guys, you know, depending on the story, and you know that Johnny Quest ended up making like sex robots of all things. It's just yeah, yeah, yeah. that's like one of my favorite things in like the whole series. Yeah, I just never thought, you know, Dr. Quest and Ray Spanion were, were, were good uh, role models <laughs> educationally. I'm not so sure that Johnny and Haji are going to make it out of that childhood. Okay. <laughs> Do you have, like, a favorite sort of wink-wink reference in, in any of the books so far? Or, I mean, are they all sort of, you know, obviously you put them in there, so you thought they were they were good, but is there one that you're particularly proud of? Um, for a while, every time there, there, there's one bit where uh, I'm basically taunting Thomas Pinchon uh, uh, into a lawsuit, uh, uh, or at least I, it's really just narcissistic and I want his attention. Um, and I've been tempted to send him the stuff to read to see like if, if I could get a quote or an intro, but that just seems like... If that, if that story goes wrong, I don't know that I would ever forgive myself. Um, 
Um, but there, for a while, every time one of the books was reprinted, it was, whenever one of the characters claims to be Pinchon, I would always update it with like whatever the latest Pinchon publication information was. Like, I think there's been three different versions of it, um, and that that I have that I actually spend money and take time to make the Pinchon reference c- as current as can be. Uh, uh, I find endlessly hilarious, and uh, <laughs> it's super dumb, and no one but me notices, but. But one day, when I get that Thomas Pinchon pull quote, you'll all rue the day. You'll rue the day you left. And I certainly would want to make sure that I talk about the art. I guess the first question is, what's it like having your artists be identical twins and then having them both work on the book? A book about identical twins. I mean, like everything with Casanova, it feels cosmically appropriate. Um writing for Gabrielle. I mean, the book wouldn't exist without them. The book will not exist without them. Uh, every, every time we start a new storyline, we have to reinvent everything from the ground up. Uh, and there's this kind of fascinating battle between Gabrielle and Fabio where they're fighting over the book. And you can see the moment where Gabriel makes it his own, and you can see the moment where Fabio takes it away from him, and you can see the moment where Gabriel gets it back, and you can see the moment where Fabio... Like, it's this fascinating intra-fraternal rivalry, you know, the sort of healthy, wonderful, gorgeous competition that I kind of get front row seats for, and that's been the most exciting part of, like, just as as a process nerd, you know? Do you have? uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was say, do you write differently for each of them? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then each, and not only do I write differently for each of them, I have to figure out how to write differently this time for them. So I write Casanova Volume Two differently than I write Casanova Volume Four, and I wrote Casanova Volume One differently than I wrote Casanova Volume Three even though Ba drew one and three and Moon drew two and four. Because you can definitely tell that their styles have ev- – I mean, admittedly, it's now almost ten years. But you can definitely yeah. see how, how their work on the book has constantly evolved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's, and it's a change. And that's the other thing, too, is like it's not like none of us do stuff in between like – the times when there's not Casanova, they're constantly getting better. Like I gotta constantly up my game to keep up with those guys. Uh, I would hope to Christ I'm at least a different writer than I was um, when I started, because I don't know why they would still be working with me otherwise. You know? Right. For like this is my, my I've said this before, but you know, for a long time, me and Gerard Way were the only two dudes in the world that realized that. Gabriel and Fabio didn't need to work with writers, you know, and then they come out and they do Day Tripper and everyone sees where he's at there. That's exactly right. They don't need to work with writers. Um, they are remarkably talented and, and that they um, deign to <laughs> uh, 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 grant me some of their kind attention and their time uh, never stops feeling surreal and unbelievable to me. And we should say at this point that issue eight of Acadia is coming out 
in three weeks, and no, it's not. <laughs> oh, okay. It was supposed to come out. Oh, it was supposed to come out months ago. Uh, it'll be oh. out maybe sometime in February. Up talk, maybe maybe February. So I assume that also means that the second Acadia trade will be out after that. Shortly, comes out. shortly thereafter. Yeah. I was say because I was, in doing my due diligence, like Comicology had listed that Acadia Eight was coming out on the twenty fifth, and the trade was coming out on February first. So soon, but not that soon. Yeah, I think that might be a little optimistic. In fact, I know for a fact that is really optimistic. It would have to go to press basically today, and it's not going to. So we're soon. We're we're getting there. We're getting there. Okay, soon. Um, something that I know is out because I'm holding it in my hand because it came in the mail. Unfortunately, it came last night, which would have mm-hmm. given me time to read it. But it came after I went to work, so I got it this morning is cycle one of odyssey um that you and christian ward are doing and i was reading it issue by issue digitally and then i had to stop because i realized it was not a book to read digitally that you sort of needed the print version especially was it is it issue one that had like the fold out in it I think. <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah. but but like I said, I haven't had a chance to reread it, but it is such an amazingly stunning-looking book. Just flipping through the hardcover, you know, the hardcover is the collection of all twelve issues that have been out. Yeah, yeah. So far, um, I guess the first question is, where did the idea to do this come from? Doing for people that don't know, it's a, I guess the, the elevator pitch is it's a space opera version of the odyssey where the crew are women i guess that's the easiest way to say it but i mean it's obviously a lot more than that but how did the idea to do that come come about um i realized they were never going to let me write wonder woman and i wanted to write um like a a hero character like a like a classic hero character for my daughter um and this sort of doesn't get more classic than, uh, you know, Odysseus. And that was kind of the root of it. And and, uh, uh, and it changed wildly and is not appropriate for my daughter anymore. But, you know, it's that sort of – that was the start of it. The root of it was, what would, if I was going to do my Wonder Woman, what would it look – what would it be like? What would it look like? If I was going to tell a, a, a story – uh, for my daughter, a kind of a high adventure story. What, what, what would it look like? That was the start. The other thing I was wondering about, sort of process-wise, is there's so much sort of expressionism and splash pages and double page spreads and all that kind of stuff. Is how did you guys work together? I mean, was it full script where you sort of described everything, or you sort of said, "Hey, this is kind of what I want on this page," and let him do what he wanted to do how how was uh, the process yeah i um i wanted to work uh in what is called uh marvel style right uh, or plot style um i just i find it to be far more collaborative and i find it quite frankly i get better like the, the work is just always better uh it makes my artistic partners more of a partner, you know, and less of an employee. 
uh, it's far more collaborative and it's much more challenging and it it's it makes me feel um, nervous right it's 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 a little nerve-wracking it's a little you know it's a big deal for me to do it's a it's a it's a lot of control to let up and it makes me a better collaborator because of it um, so yeah so it was written as uh plot style it was written uh uh where where i could you know i would i would say all right so page one this is the stuff that's going to happen and you know, we'll see this, we'll see that, I'll describe things, and, you know, and, and, and kind of Christian would go, and sometimes you'd come back and say, hey, I think I'm going to turn this into, like, a sequence. Is it cool if this is, like, three pages? And, you know, or I would say, this is the thing that has to happen on this page, and this is the, the story beat, like, the, this is what happens here. This is the thing that we need for the story to move forward. And I would like to talk about this, and I would like to find, you know, kind of, I would, I would give, like a, like, a shape, you know, and sort of then react to what Christian produced, um, which which is great and it's challenging and never less than surprising. It always produces good. I've always, I've, I've never been unhappy with the results. Uh, and, and Odyssey was no different and it kept the entire process um, fresh. It kept every issue was, every issue was a challenge. Every issue was new. Every issue was difficult. And I think as a result, every issue is better than the last because Christian's getting better as I'm getting better. I'm getting better at writing for him and he's sort of getting, becoming more fully ward. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, for, for people that may have gotten the issues and sort of think they don't necessarily want to get the hardcover. It's also full of, it's got, um, a couple essays, I assume, about sort of the source material and that kind of thing. And yeah, Danny Coleman is a, an actual, you know, honest to god classicist kind of uh, uh, writes actual smart people things about uh, uh, the times and culture that developed the Odyssey and kind of the mythopoetic resonance it's had, sort of subsequently. And there's a bunch of sort of uh, character design and process stuff, and it certainly, it's certainly, like I said, it's a great package of stuff that I would, you know, heartily recommend, even if people already had the issue. It, it also, uh, it also just smells great. Uh, uh, it is one of the best smelling books I've ever been associated with, and I, and I recommend just getting yourself a copy taking it home and just huffing it just just unwrap it and just breathe it in it smells great the paper stock really is wonderful and so this is cycle one so yeah. when is cycle two on the books for uh it's not at the moment but we'll, we'll figure it out um uh you know it will we'll we'll figure that out i'm not sure right now uh christian's doing some marvel stuff at the moment and uh uh yeah we'll, we'll figure it out um, but you know, each each that, that's where the pattern is going to be five issues. You know, it sort of ends up following these three captains on their way home, um, and each uh, will kind of repeat that pattern in the the, the following two cycles. Cool. Um, before we go, I wanted to ask. Um, I know that uh, you guys have 
been working on TV stuff. Um, is there anything that's to the point that you can say that it's coming out, or is it all sort of still in process stuff? Um, yeah, no, it's all still in process stuff. Uh, it's all hopefully soon. Um, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff has been written, um, and it's, it's a economic engine that dwarfs comics in comparison and everything takes a while to happen. So it's in the, um, it's in the, it's in the, uh, uh, We'll we'll see, you know. Stay tuned, as it were. Cool. I know it's always that's the funny. worst answer, isn't it? Isn't it a boring answer? Well, it's always Super funny. Boring answer. It's funny to talk to people, and they're like, they're like, "Yes, I'm working on something." No, I can't talk about it. Yes, yeah. it's supposed to be maybe this year, depending on this, yeah. this, and this, and you know. And then, especially given how sort of fickle the entertainment business can be, you know, you could be greenlit all the way and a studio changes executives. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody gets, somebody gets fired and then it's done. You know, uh, look, uh, there've been, I mean, this pilot season alone, look, networks, you know, buy a ton of scripts. They decide that they're going to make 22 of them into, into pilots. And then they put seven of those pilots on the air and they bank two for when, two of those should get canceled. Like, it's crazy. It is a crazy way to run a railroad. Uh, uh, so it is, a, it is an economic engine that runs very large and very slow. I guess tangentially related to that, we do know that we're getting, at some point, and whatever their schedule is now, that we're getting an Iron Fist TV show that may or may not, uh, you know, have its roots in the stuff that you and Ed did on... Iron Fist. So I'm just wondering, um, how do you think you'll feel when that actually hits TV and, you know, you see, especially some of the, the Kun Lun characters that you guys created, like, actually there, like, on your TV screen. Like, if we see, Spy, you, know, sp you know, the spider guy and the... Forgive me, but I forgot like a bunch of their names. But no, but you know, yeah, like no, all I, that, I mean, I the... I don't. That'd be cool, man. It's it's crazy. Uh, like I felt that way in Iron Man two and Iron Man three, and like any time any of that stuff has found its way to the big screen, like it's a crazy moment of like, oh shit, that's me. You know, like it's uh, it's cool and flattering and awesome to see and 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 uh, uh, and a lot of fun. And I get. I have I mean, no. Uh, I want the record to say, like, I have, n I have zero information about any of it. So I've n I'm going to be just as surprised and just as eager to see what makes it, what the Iron Fist show looks like as the rest of the people. Like, I have, like, I have literally no idea what's about anything about it. Yeah, I just, it's funny to talking to people when you know, especially you know, sometimes when people are or are not kept in the loop. And it's like, yeah, I've known creator fans who have gone to see one of these superhero movies and had no idea that, like, one of their characters, I mean, not necessarily one that they created, but one they sort of became known for, was, like, had, like, a five-second cameo in this movie. And they're like, yeah. I never expected in the world to see, you know, this guy that I wrote in a 1986 issue of Captain America right. is in, like, the Civil War movie, you know, or something yeah, yeah, weird. Yeah, like, it's yeah. just... And, again, I don't, you know... It seems like people, I mean, now that we have so much of this 
comic book stuff. I know it seems like it's very popular for people to say that they want to see the Hawkeye that you and David did, you know, something that they see as cinematic or TV-attic, if they, whatever the the word is. Like, people always seem to say that, like, your Hawkeye would be such a great TV show. I mean, that has to be flattering, too. Um, sure, you know, it's great. Um, I, I wanted it to be a comic, you know, like that was the, <laughs> um, um, yeah, of course it's, 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 it's tremendously flattering. Uh, and it's got a lot of fans and it's even crazier. Like, um, but yeah, no, really, really it just like, uh, uh, I, yeah, sure. Great. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, you know, I hope it. I hope it happens, and I hope it's good. And like, but the bad news, you know, but like, it's not. Like, maybe this is um, poor. Maybe I'm. The, I don't know what the what the. And maybe I'm the wrong person to talk to about this stuff. But like, I don't think Sin City is good. <laughs> I don't think that that like. I, I do not. That I do Zach, not. That Zach, that, that Zach Snyder, like, oh no, we used the book as a storyboard. Like, no, don't do that because it's a drawing, and this is a camera, and drawings and cameras, and comic book paper and and frames of film are different. It's everything. It's different, and and I would rather like I don't want <laughs> I would like. Anytime anybody wants to read anything that I've written, there's a part of me that doesn't believe it. So it's always flattering. Uh, but like, you know, I don't want to feel like, oh, they didn't, you know, they ruined, it's not going to ruin the book if it happens. It's not going to, and if it sucks, it's it's not the fault of the book. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's just a different, it's a different thing. It would be cool. Uh, it's always cool, but, but. I really just wanted to write a good comic. You know, I wanted to write the comic I wanted to read. It's always the goal. Um, and everything else is just like gravy or sugar on top or sugar on top of gravy, whatever metaphor you prefer, you know? Yeah, I'm one of those people that always say, you know, nobody has done anything to the book that you love so much when either it gets made into a movie or it gets rebooted or whatever. It's like, yeah. you know, we have not erased the book that you love so much. Right. It's like, you know, there's the story about, uh, uh, and I think it's Dashiell Hammett. Uh, it might have been Raymond Chandler, but like one of those guys, someone was interviewing him and said, what do you think about Hollywood for always ruining your novels? And he like turns around and touches his novels on the bookshelf behind him. He's like, nope, they're still right there. Everything's fine. So it's a different engine. I hope, I hope if, I hope if any of that stuff, goes to a different medium that like people look at what works for that medium and throw out the stuff that doesn't because a lot of it doesn't work for tv a lot of it wouldn't work for movies like get rid of the stuff that doesn't work don't don't treat it as a as a bible don't treat it as a blueprint you know it's a it's a sketch it's a notion it's a character study it's background you know well I've always i'd rather a great show than a faithful one yeah i always said that like i'd rather you capture the spirit of something rather than be slavish to the, like the letter of like the original. Right. It's like, you know, take what made, why do people love this so much, you know, and right. figure out how to translate that. Cause right. yeah, if you like a direct shot for shot, you know, it's like, if you're going to, you know, for example, you know, 
do you, did we really need a shot-for-shot shot remake of Psycho when the original was perfectly fine? You know, that kind of thing. It's like, or, you know, a million other things that have been adapted. It's like, you know, sure. as long as what the original is there, then everybody's happy in the end. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, it nothing's going to take away what already exists in print. Uh, you know, it's it's great if it makes if it's in, if it inspires another good piece of work. That's great, but it's it's it's. I don't think it, I don't think they make good roadmaps. Um, we mentioned that. Or rather, I don't think they make yeah. good like blueprints. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Um, we mentioned that there is Casanova coming out soon. Um, do you have any soon-ish? Um, do you have anything else coming out soon? Is is there is there more Sex Criminals coming? Yeah, uh, Sex Criminals starts up again in February, just in time uh, for Valentine's Day. Um, so you know you can uh, uh, buy yourself a bottle of sparkling champagne and take a long hot bubble bath with me and Chip. Uh, uh, and that'll be, yeah, we'll, that'll, that'll, we'll be, uh, uh, we're, we're banking issues at the moment, so we should be, you know, on, on time and sort of monthly throughout the, throughout the storyline and, and, uh, yeah, more stuff coming later in the year. Cool. Uh, is there anything else besides, do you have anything new that isn't just ongoing coming out anytime soon? Yeah. Yeah. This year there's going to be a couple of new things, uh, for me, but I don't know when, um, uh, beyond the kind of nebulous later, uh, uh, there's a book with uh, Terry Dodson I'm doing called uh, Adventure Man uh, that he's cranking along on, and that's 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 kind of ended up being what Odyssey started as. That is the kind of an adventure story for my kids, you know, and that's sort of like the best possible Pixar kind of way of like making an accessible story for as many people as possible as I can manage is, is, is Adventure Man, and it's sort of turning out to be this big, you know, high adventure story that that I love. And then, um, uh, 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 there, uh, then there's there's a I'm not sure that Chip and I are writing a book for Annie Wu to draw. Uh, uh, I don't think it's going to be called The Recidivist anymore. I think it might be called Mr. Recidivism. Um, but uh, and that's kind of uh, it's, uh, it's us doing a superhero thing, um, but it's us, so it's our kind of superhero thing, which is uh, pretty great. But um, um, and by great, I mean ridiculous. But that'll be later in the year, and there'll be some other stuff too. Cool. Uh, I believe you are. N- are you no longer on social media, or have you just pulled back? I know you are. I believe you're off Twitter now. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I'm, uh, I'm, I, I quittered. I quittered a, a long time ago, like, I, I, like, like two years ago at this point. Um, but uh, uh, no, I'm not really. No, I mean, I have a, a, a blog, but like, I don't really interact with folks too terribly often. Not, not out of not enjoying or not, you know, wanting, but just sort of like, uh, it's not really for me. Um, but I, I, will... I post ridiculous pictures sometimes. I, I will say that uh, one of the downsides of you leaving Twitter, and I don't blame you, but was when you were doing your like reread of the original Fantastic Fours and posting all of the weird stuff you were finding. Oh, I yeah. thought that was like that was like wonderfully entertaining, you know, for like an old nerd like me. So yeah, I, I, I miss that. 
those that uh uh the the i don't mean i don't man my fantastic four run used that stuff as a that that first like there's so many parallels between the first 12 fantastic four issues and my 24 fantastic four and ff books like you can go back and forth and you can see <laughs> what's happening what where and when uh and why like uh uh it was a lot of fun to do. It was a lot of fun to do. But you, uh, you and Kelly Sue do have the Milkfed newsletter, which people yeah. can subscribe to. Right, which is a sort of uh, uh, infrequent update of yes, we're still alive, and this is what we're working on, sort of things. Uh, so, if you go to milkfed.us, you can find out all the info you need to sign up for that. Subscribe. Fairly non-invasive uh, uh, Mailchimp thing that comes out. You know, maybe once a month. That does seem to be the new thing for creators to get their message out. It seems like yeah, no, more... yeah. When when you just when it's a one way signal, uh, you don't have to hear what Nazis think about you. It's pretty great. You just sort of transmit, <laughs> not have to get yelled at by racists later. That is true, Matt. I give it a big th- thumbs up. Yeah, uh, I want to thank you very very much for for doing the show. Like My I pleasure. Said, Thank you for having me. I'm sorry it took so long. That I mean, that's completely fine. It's like, you know, it was the holidays and we had like some health issues in our house and Christmas and all that kind of stuff. So, and since there's new stuff coming out in the relatively near future, like maybe, you know, maybe it was better timed to be now than back then. Um, yeah, like I good. said, like I said, I've like Casanova is one of like my favorite books of like the millennium. So Thank I'm you really very much. like I'm really glad. Like I said, it's it hits so many of the things that I love in popular culture, like 60s spy stuff and meta text and time travel and all sort of weird kind of stuff. Like so, this is like one. I mean, like sort of like the way Starman was for me when I was in grad school. Like, this book gives me, like, the same kind of feeling, like, this is, like, just written for me, and if nobody else likes it, I love it, because it hits so many of my buttons. So, oh, thank you so, so thank, thank you for that, thank you for doing the show, and we will talk to everybody next time. The colors of the sea, find your eye with trembling mermaid, and you touch the distant beaches, with tales of ravenous how his naked ears were tortured by the sirens sweetly singing, and the sparkling waves are calling you to touch the white lady.